0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Hello, it's Fulham Inch Podcast. It's the penultimate show of the year. This is the podcast that takes you through the ecstatic highs and the desperate lows of supporting Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James, and it's a bit of a somber occasion in the studio tonight. As we look back on Fulham's unsuccessful playoff campaign, which came crashing down last Tuesday night at the Medeski Stadium. Shedding the tears with me tonight is Farrell Monk. Hi, Sammy. Ben Jarman's got his sunglasses on prepared for the occasion. Because I've been crying for a week and a half straight. And Jack Collins is here as well. Hello, listeners. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) We know the times are tough when Jack says hello, listeners, like that. The only way is up. Well... As I say, it's going to be a bit of a tough listen uh, for the next hour, but we'll get through it. And there's plenty of positivity uh, spreading around as well. We'll get on to that later. So we're going to be looking back at that 1-0 defeat at the Medeski, which meant that Fulham were the first team to be eliminated from the championship playoffs this season. Uh, we're going to have lots of post-match musings and a reflection on the playoffs as a whole. Uh, plus, we've got loads of your questions to end as well. So, uh, let's start off with what happened last Tuesday night. It was a nervy, intense game at the Medeski. Uh, it was a penalty uh, that came between the two sides. And Jack, I put a post out after the game. I didn't do a three-word review because I just didn't think it was the time or the place. I just said, share your thoughts with us instead of doing a three-word review. So, what was some of the best stuff that came in after the Reading match?
0: We had a lot of responses. Ari Odza, who opened with, so disappointed thought we had our release from purgatory in sight now another season in the wilderness which i thought was maybe a little bit strong but um <laughs> alistair wins stanley who had i think probably the best response of anything poetic that a penalty saw us off in the end which i really liked yeah. as in that, as in me through through like heaps of tears i was yeah. like yeah that's really nice i like it proof, even, the, like,
1: proof that our novel poetry is beautiful
0: yeah indeed yeah. and there's a there's a lot of comments about how you know there's you know, both handballs before Reading girls, ETC. Um, Stuart Marcham, at least we were bet- beaten by the better team in Hamburg. Ali Al-Habsi dragged them over the line. We need to keep Kearney and co for next season's push. Keep believing next season is our time from Daddy Mark. And <laughs> the best of Fulham, on the bright side, Martin never has to play for us again, which is um, <laughs> probably, probably <laughs> slightly harsh as well. Anyway, such is life.
1: Ben, obviously everyone was... Desperately disappointed after Tuesday. It was very difficult whether you're at the Medeski, whether you're at the cottage like I was on the big screen or just watching on the telly at home. But there does seem to be a lot of positivity after the match, despite the fact that we crashed out of the playoffs and it's not the result that anyone wanted in any shape or form.
2: We just remove ourselves from the situation we currently find ourselves in and we go back to where we were at the start of the season thinking, oh God, it's going to be another one of them seasons where we fight for our lives and... I think a lot of people did believe in Jukanovic, but not many people did until around October, November time, which is when we really started to click into gear. We've had an amazing season. We're the league's joint top scorers. We have a very exciting team. We have a very clear identity of how we want to play the ball. The supporters chanted, we have we want our Fulham back for ages. And as TC10 said in his tweet, you've got him back now. Like We look like a really good outfit. If we keep all of our players together next season, then why can't we go up and do it automatically? It's been a fantastic season for us in terms of development and output.
1: Oh, my God. Thank you. That's some what, pizza. What, is that pizza? What? Pizza. Big PD bringing in the pizza. Who's PD? Pete
3: Donaldson. Is he from the football pizza ramble?
1: Not much stops, Benjamin Jarman, mid-flow, but... Um, Pete Donaldson, you may know him from the Football Ramble, literally has just brought in two mammoth pizzas uh, for the podcast. What a boy.
0: Yeah, well, you know, yeah. it's nice to see the Newcastle fans have Fulham's back in this, this distinctly dark hour. Yeah,
1: so <laughs> thanks, he knew Pete. it was such a dark time for us on the podcast tonight. It's two. I can't tell you how good those pizzas look.
3: I do apologise. This might be the shortest podcast ever because we're <laughs> yeah. <all> quite
2: hungry. <laughs> I can't talk because my mouth's just full up of saliva ready to go. <laughs> what a lovely, so <laughs> lovely
3: image for people.
1: <laughs> on their train or car, their commute to work, Ben Saliva. And on the
3: that, mood up a bit. And, <laughs> and on that bobshell, it's time to the end of the show. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right, anyway, let's uh, go back to the Reading game. Farrell, you were there on Tuesday night at the Medeski You were one of the lucky ones that managed to get a ticket. I was one of the lucky ones that managed to get a ticket, but I didn't go in the end. It was a long story. Um it was a nervy, intense opening 45 minutes, which is probably exactly what Reading would have wanted. It wasn't very open and Fulham weren't allowed to really get their style going, and that 100% would have suited Reading far more than it suited us.
3: Yeah, um, and it seemed to be their game plan from straight from the first kick of the ball in the first leg, really. And fair play to them, their, their, their game plan worked, and we said that in the, after the first leg, that their game plan had worked. And they pretty much carried it on into the second leg, and they really, really stifled us, apart from a few chances in the second half. But... Me and Ben were talking about it before the game that our lack of being clinical throughout the whole season has kind of come back to bite us on the arse, that we would create 10, 15 chances in a game and only score one or two, whereas a real top team would only take, would only get like one or two chances and score both of them. Uh, Even though we were rolling over teams later on the season, 3-1, 3-1, 3-1, we were getting sick of winning 3-1. I wasn't getting sick of that. Yeah. (laughs) but even in those games, we were getting so many chances, and in the games that we only got three chances, we scored none of them. That's probably, in a way, what we
2: deserved. I mean, if think I think if you compiled all the times we'd have said over the over the course of the year, we should have scored X amount. We could have had a, a podcast in itself, because we just create chance after chance and. We really clicked into gear when, like you were saying, Farrell, when we started winning 3-1, 4-1, and here against all of our main playoff rivals, we'd done what we needed to do. And as soon as we sort of like looked like we got there, against Brentford, we missed a host of opportunities. Against um, Shuffle Wednesday away, we missed a host of opportunities. It, I kind of felt like going into the playoffs, we, we'd hit our peak when we were churning out those 3-1s and 4-1s especially. And then we were just coming off the boil again. And it was like maybe that little slip of confidence going into it where we were creating so many chances, we just couldn't put them away. And it It, eventually just caught up with us. It was almost as if that because Sheffield Wednesday
3: Fulham game was such a a dead rubber, in inverted commas, that it came at a bad time for us because we were creating a lot of chances. And it was always like, it was almost as if, well, we missed a chance. Oh, never mind. This game doesn't really mean that much. Mm. And therefore, we weren't in the. Because uh, there were so many chances. I mean, Scott Malone could have had like 10 goals in, in that game.
1: But it wasn't necessarily that Fulham missed all those chances on Tuesday night because Ali Al-Habzi Jack was just having one of those evenings where everything that went towards him was a save. The cat,
0: as I've heard him called before, al habsi He was kind of everywhere. Ali al no. no, I mean I wasn't even going for a pun. I mean, I know that makes a change. But I, um genuinely wasn't yeah, he was he was excellent and the double stop in the first half from the free kick and the follow-up uh, was exceptional. Mm. The palm of Frederick's mm. shot onto the post is an unbelievably good reflex save. And in the latter half of the, you know, in the latter half of the second half when we really were throwing the kitchen sink at them, he was excellent just especially commanding the box, getting rid of corners. He punches a lot. Al-Habsi and he's not the best catcher of the ball in the world. But he knows that and he's aware of it, so he doesn't try and take the ball from corners or or those things. He punches the ball, and we didn't have an answer to that because we weren't getting players in front of him, we weren't getting the physicality in the box. And I thought he did his job magnificently. And you know what? If if anyone
3: deserves to be in in, in the final, then it's probably Ali Habsi. I think the Reading have actually named have already named him their Player of the Season yeah, already. They have. Yeah. yeah, and. But it is a weird one, because I've seen him in games. Like, you know, the Fulham 5-0 game, although Fulham were on it and Reading went down to 10 men with 40-odd minutes to go, he was probably at blame for, like, two or three of yeah, those goals. Really so, yeah, he was. Yeah, and we were saying, uh, it pains me to say this, but I was chatting on a WhatsApp group with a bunch of Fulham boys. and we Fulham were boys? Saying... <laughs> lads, lads, lads. <laughs> um, that Ali Ahabsi is a bit of a joke goalkeeper because he goes from the sublime to ridiculous in like 10 minutes, mm. in 10 minute spells in a game. And someone pointed out that this is going to bite us real hard. And it did,
2: I'm afraid. I think if we looked past our Habsey as well. The way they set up was just perfectly pointed, like placed to counter us. Yeah. Playing with three centre-backs and two wing-backs um, that were basically just pinning our our wingers back as well. Having a three sitting in, what, three in midfield, all three really big hard industrious players that were sort of designed to shut down our passing and make the midfield seem much bigger than it was and especially in that second leg we looked particularly leggy um, Mm -hmm. just coming into the first like or last like 15-20 minutes of the first half there was just gaps everywhere and I get that we play high risk high reward but the way they set up just completely negated everything we like to do as a football team and it just played to their strengths I mean we can go on about how bang average they are, how you know they play anti football. But if you're going to set up to win a match, they've done it, and they've done it twice.
3: The, the the particular players that I was impressed with with the fullbacks, in particular Tyler Blackett, who is coming up one of the against one of the better fullbacks in the league, and for the first. 75 minutes, he kept Ryan Fredericks largely quiet, apart from when Fredericks went mm. inside and actually did something with his left foot for the first time. Well, that's the exact season. same
1: as the reverse game. Well, not really the reverse game, but the other game at the Medeski where the full 90 was played out mm. and Tyler Blackett squared up against Ryan Fredericks. And he had Ryan Fredericks in his back pocket and it, and it proved so again. It did a bit yeah. of a job on him. And it was, you know, I didn't think Fredericks had a particularly poor game. No. I just didn't think
0: he was able to sort of find a way through. And it makes a change you know we've we've commented and we commented at the week you know last week after the first leg that we thought that fredericks didn't seem to want to run at a beta and again he didn't seem to want to go at blackett and there's something about fredericks that stops him doing you know if he's attacking a fullback on the halfway line you know, drop the ball thirty yards in front of him. You are going to beat him. You are faster mm. than him. He doesn't seem to want to
3: do that. I think it just came up against a, a smart fullbacks because no, no, they, they they were ready for it every single time Fredericks tried to do it. Granted, Fredericks got through a few times, but particularly in, the in, one
1: for Piazon, I think, was probably one of his best mm. moments. Yeah, I agree which was an it. unbelievable block. And fair yeah. play,
3: fair play to Fredericks because he did get clattered a little bit, but he was just. I am not going down here. I am going past him because there was a foul in the build up um, and.
2: It was the only real time that he got behind. I just felt like over those two legs, we found that Fredericks' decision-making was slightly lacking on a number of occasions because there are times where we have two-on-ones or even three-on-one overloads in that corner um, of both Majewski and Craven Cottage and Fredericks isn't bombing on to make the space and pull other people out. He's literally just stood there watching TC and Steph Joe just pass it between themselves and not giving them anything else. And if we are a club that and a team that really relies on dynamism and he just, at point just didn't give it to us.
3: Yeah, and Malone is definitely the one that, as soon as we get the ball, he's he's already passed like, the attacking players trying to want to receive the ball and he's yeah. arguably the slower, obviously, the slower pair of the two.
2: Yeah, but I I, I guess Malone, I think his display in the first leg was you know, fairly solid for Malone's standards, but second leg, I think at times we saw the worst of him, just completely leaving all of his defensive duties to centre-halves and a lot of the time also to, to poor Floyd um, uh, to cover him a lot as well from my point of view.
1: Well, let's go back uh, to the main incident of the game which came uh, at the beginning of the second half. Um, I was fairly confident once we got into uh, half-time at nil-nil. I still kind of had the belief that Fulham were going to go on and do it but... Yeah, the key moment came just three minutes into the second half. Uh, Callas was judged to give away a handball. Uh, he was under pressure from Kermigan and uh, referee Martin Atkinson gave the penalty. Now, I, think, I guess the first question here, is it a penalty? It definitely touches Callas's hand and, and arm. And I think there can be no doubt that his arm was out of his body. But there's a couple of contentious things here. First of all, does it touch Camorgan's hand, first of all? And does that change the direction of the ball? Is that why callas ended up handling the ball because it seems bizarre at the time that callas would handle the ball in such in such an area i mean you can look at the picture it
0: obviously touches camorgan's hands first the question really isn't that the question is whether because the referees can't see that it's just nigh on impossible for a referee to see that with their arms interlinked the question is camorgan's arm is through callas's arm and so obviously they're running in stride with each other and it's when Camorgan pulls his arm back that Callas's arm shoots upwards. And I think the main question that people should be asking is not, is it a handball? Is is the handball deliberate because Callas is obviously trying to break stride and as you break stride, your hand naturally will move upwards. I, I The first time I saw a replay, I went, yeah, it's probably a penalty. Um, upon further reflection... I think that maybe there's more to it than that but I don't know without video refereeing how you could look at that and say and the refere- blame the referee at all basically. Yeah.
2: If you are the ref and you see a hand come up like that and the ball obviously changed direction you're going to give it. I think it's as simple as that but obviously we all have you know we can all lean back on the video ref uh, the video analysis and the replays and the slow-mos and the screenshots and freeze frames etc. and the referee can't he has to make it in a In a spur of the moment, albeit slightly delayed, um, call. That was the thing for me, is I thought
1: it wasn't a penalty. And and first of all, the referee points towards the corner flag, which, and then he points at the penalty spot. So I remember just watching it and thinking, oh, thank God he's given a corner.
3: I think that what he does was he points at the player saying, you handled it, therefore it's a penalty. Um, But it's such an, in all my years of watching it, it's such an odd situation that at the time I thought, well, he it seems like a handball, and then he's given the penalty, and, I, and then I saw the replay, and I watched the replay three or four times. And I, well, I was like, Callas has handled it. And it was only afterwards that I that you see that Camorgan gets a punch on it, and it's just so unfortunate. And I've never seen an instant like it where the hand has gone through and punched the ball before you know, a player has got it. And it's just, you can definitely see why the referee gives it.
1: Has callas got any blame there? Is it a little naive to have his hands away from his body as such? But you can't foresee something like that happening, can you?
3: No, no I think it's, I think the hand from, he's running towards the ball, callas and he knows where it's going to go. It wasn't spinning around or anything. And it's, it must have been that the, the slight touch from Kermagant sets uh, the ball in a slightly different trajectory and therefore onto his arm. And then his arm goes up naturally when he's, people are running. And then it's, completely flies off i think that there are things to blame thomas kalas for in that game i
0: don't think that's one of them mm. i think he, he didn't have his best game in a fulham shirt and you know has has, has been very up and down recently and it's a bit, a bit of an odd one i know we said and after norwich that he was back to his best and he was you know very much imperious that game but you know since then he's not he's not been quite not the been same great. he's not been awful by any stretch of the imagination he hasn't you know he wasn't like before that when he was giving away rash penalties you know mm. two in three games whatever it was yeah. mm. but he just hasn't been as kind of imperious as as he has been during points of the season and i thought he was the weak link in the in the, in the back for again on on, on uh, tuesday night
3: i do agree that i don't think he has been as good uh, these past you know couple of games i think cammergan just played really really well yeah, he used his player. he used his you know loads and loads of experience to completely unsettle calas and the amount of headers he was he was winning against um, Calas as well. Not Reem, though. Not Reem. Reem, I thought played I exceptionally.
2: I can't believe that we had to defend him so vehemently in our, in our football phone in a few mm. months ago. And now people are fully on board with Reem. It was clear to see a few months ago that he was going to be a very, very dependable defender. He just needed to work into the system and work himself back to, you know, full match fitness. There are points where I just do feel. As if there is, or potentially a mistake in him, but that's the same with any central defender. Like there are only a few that I can ever remember thinking that. Sitting he there did thinking,
1: have some wobbly performances at that particular time when the when the phone in was granted, on. Yeah. There was the Leeds mistake, and there yeah. was also I believe I think it was maybe Wigan or Forrest. He really like was calamitous in a, in a couple of those games, and I think yeah. I remember. I think maybe it was just a lack of confidence, and and Tim Ream also suffered a little bit of the negativity from the previous season in which he was part of a defence that was just so woeful that I think it's taken time for Fulham fans to really see the quality in him rather than just see the negatives Mm -hmm.
0: in him. On your point earlier, though, about you think sometimes there's a mistake in him, but you think there's a mistake in all sorts of centre-halves, I don't feel that way... Like I think there are mistakes in most center half at this level because, you know, yeah. that happens. But I don't feel that about Kalas' like passing ability. It, I I think that Callas has a like a rash decision in him, like a bad yeah. tackle or things. I don't feel like that about Reem. I don't ever think Reem's gonna like take someone out in the box. But what I do think is that occasionally he could pass the ball straight to the striker, and it would, you know, go Yeah, like he'll overplay. It's a
2: different it. kind of mistake, yeah. almost. Yeah, but I think um, every single defender has some sort of mistake. Oh yeah, completely. Cool. It's, it's just
0: Reams' ones tend to be because you can't because if you you know make a bad tackle or something, and it's mm. you know unless it's in the box the chances of them scoring for a free kick are reasonably small, even if it's yeah. a bad challenge. Whereas if you give the ball away in your own area, like scrambling backwards, the chances of them scoring from that mistake are much higher. Yeah. So it seems like a more calamitous error. I think it, it also just
3: looks worse. He, yeah, probably yeah, mispl- he probably loses the ball uh, or misplaces a pass as much as one of our forward players, but it just doesn't right, get it's noticed. It's in a higher yeah. high risk area. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then uh, just moments after Camorgan uh, scored the penalty. By the way, do we think that Marcus... Could have yeah, done it. A... Do you really?
0: I think it's a really poor save. Well, it's not a save. Well, I think it's a really poor attempt at a save. I think he should get to it.
1: No,
2: but think...
0: Even if it goes in off him, I don't mind, but he should it's get just, to I it. I felt like this he would of never... slightly miskicked. Yeah. It and it was, if it would have I...
2: been struck correctly, he would have got there. Yeah, it was a, a, a
3: Dempsey-esque
2: kind of poor penalty that oh, scored. we not have Dempsey-esque conversation again? <laughs> <laughs> we, we talked don't. about that with TC and it, you know, he missed the next one
1: yeah um but reading really should have doubled their lead moments later john swift um somehow found the arms of marcus bettinelli's brilliant work by reading down the right hand side it's the ball in from gunter uh, and i mean how on earth has he missed that it's, it's it's unbelievable and and sean davis said on the Fulham website he thought that fulham would go on to win after that miss and i remember thinking the same at the time i'm thinking if something like that has just happened huge the, the, it's written in the stars. Did you think guys think the same thing there?
0: No, I, I was a bit confused as to what was going on at that point. I um I actually missed the penalty because I was at the bar. Um, <laughs> but I'm doing my best Don Betts impression. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, missed the penalty but then I came back in as that move was going in and I was like, oh God, oh God, oh God, how's that not gone in? But, you know, that's why John Swift played for Brentford, I suppose.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It was a great move. It was a great move from Reading and it certainly deserved a goal. At the time, I thought Reading are firmly on top and I thought it was going to end up being 2 or 3 nil because they were really in the ascendancy. But that was probably
2: the only point during the game that they were firmly on top. Yeah, we were very open. It was clear that we just wanted to try and get the pressure back in and get the goal back as soon as possible, we just left ourselves completely exposed. I think if it would have gone in, we would have collapsed completely. It would have been, like you said, three, four, maybe five, and you sort of think about, oh, it's going to be a drubbing. I thought there would be a huge momentum, like a swing in momentum towards us, and it never sort of came to fruition. There was almost a point
1: in maybe the 60th to 75th minute where at Fulham... We're playing some very neat football. We had um some of the bi- best chances in that period. There was the one that fell to Piazon. There was the one that fell to Kevin McDonald after an unbelievable little turn from Sonny Aluko. Yeah, that, that Maradona is absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> That's
0: so good, so good.
1: And Piazon denied a penalty. Slavisa was absolutely fuming. Uh, you saw the replay afterwards. Slavisa does get animated, but not all that often. But he. Really leapt out of his bench for that one, and surely that's as much of an offence as Callas is. He he almost holds him in like a, as if he's like trying to maul him in rugby. I think there's
0: two parts to it. One of them is definitely that there's there's an unfair advantage being given to the defender by holding Piazon back. The other bit is is Piazon maybe looking for it. Um, I as in has he looked to take contact? And I I think there's a bit of both. I think, you know, I don't necessarily think he's wrong to look to take contact there. But at the same time, I think if he'd maybe just gone for the ball and tried to
3: shoot then he might have scored. Yeah, but I think that kind of like how he plays a little bit, but if he wasn't completely bare-hugged, he would still have he would have got the ball and it's a penalty. It, for me it's a penalty. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I, yeah.
0: I think it is a pen, but I think that there's, you know, there's there's, there's got to be some sort of contextualization to it because mm. It's not. I don't think it's as clear cut as Slavisa made out. Um, I, when I, I remember, you know, calling for it and being like, "That was probably a penalty," but I, it wasn't one of those ones where I was like, "Well, absolute
2: stonewall." At the mm-hmm. time, I mean, looking back at it, yeah, I, I, I would have given it. But yeah. they uh, were very dismissive of the whole situation on Sky. They were just like, "Oh, he's, he's definitely played for it. He's not in control of the ball. Um, there's no reason for Martin at- Atkinson to give it." And part of me disagree. He has played for a little, a little bit, but there is a clear obstruction from the Reading player. So- Sky
1: also really didn't take Camorgan's handball into calluses very seriously, no. either on on the on the analysis by the commentators.
3: Bias, mainstream media—we're just the Jeremy Corbyn of the football world, aren't we?
1: Alternative. Oh, here
3: here we Jeremy. Go. Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> the full image podcast does not uh, it does, <laughs>
1: does not endorse not any particular political party yes it does yeah. <laughs> don't
3: buy the sun yeah. <laughs> yeah that one that's the only one
1: but at what point did you probably decide one going to be our day i just felt that we weren't gonna, we could have probably played for another half an hour and i just didn't see anything really going in
0: the mcdonald chance when our Habsy saved the mcdonald chance i was like well i see not it I like, said, that is gonna, yeah. nothing's going to be a better chance than that yeah i agree from from that moment it was like, Well, it's probably cooked, isn't it?
2: From that that point was, was my one. Um I also felt when the Kenny free kick didn't go in that we were really backed up against it. Just because for a lot of the a lot of the periods we were playing in front of Reading and we weren't really causing them that much of an issue like we normally do. We normally get in and, in behind teams and stretch them. Reading were very much uh stable, like very compact and we couldn't get in behind them at all. So I can't Kind of did feel like we were on the back foot a little bit. But yeah, those last few minutes were... I mean, Chris Martin
1: could have been the ultimate hero uh, right at the end. I think he should have done a lot better with that header. Maybe Jeez. he should have left it to Marcus Bettinelli, who was queuing up in behind Steaming Chris in, Martin,
3: yeah. known for his heading ability, for
1: Marcus. the ult- for the ultimate equaliser. That, that would have been def-
3: amazing.
0: That was definitely not the right decision. Chris Martin hitting the ball was definitely the right decision. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just um, didn't necessarily go quite to
3: plan. I know. I, I was, when it when he got a good contact on it, I thought I actually genuinely thought it was going to nestle in the top corner and it was just that was that I knew that was just so heartbreaking when it just goes the other side of the post and that was it
2: I'm a little bit split on Chris Martin in general now I know at the start of the season I was a very big fan of him Mm. but after seeing the two performances he put in against Reading and some of them towards the tail end of the season I'm kind of Mm. I'm kind of glad that we've freed up a little bit of space in terms of wages and and that for another striker. Well, there's there's certainly room to get someone in who's certainly
3: good because obviously the um... Chris Martin's a good striker. No, no, no. no. Sorry, yeah. I I phrased that badly. <laughs> he's he's good. I do rate Chris Martin. He's he's been playing in the top half of the championship for quite a while, and that's not by accident. Mm. Um, but he it seemed to be be a bit of a panic loan signing when it did happen because it was all very last minute. And I thought it was good that we got him, and I was really surprised that Derby let him go. But there's obviously everything around that. Um, which we won't get into, but I think Slavita has known that we weren't going to have Chris Martin next season, so they've probably even looked at targets already.
2: Yeah, they would have, yeah.
3: Yeah, so I, I can't imagine Slavita's not... He's he's going to go for someone better. Yeah. And considering the signings that we have made, they're all, you know, a lot of them are in that, as Ben has pointed out previously, that you know, too good for the championship, not, you know, bottom half of the table, Premier League kind of quality that we're kind of looking for. Mm. And we have that all through the season. And just speaking about the, the, the striker situation in general, one thing that really did surprise me and probably surprised a lot of people was that Aluko was playing up front for most of the game, which we haven't seen since pretty much pre-season. And I was so shocked considering how good Aluko has been playing on the, you know, in that one of the attacking three yeah. for a long periods of this season. And even when we've been playing strikerless system, we've been playing Aite or Cabano up front. So to see Aluko up front and then moved out to the wing again when Piazzon came on, he then moved back up front again and then was only moved back out to the wing when Chris Martin came on. Mm. I found it very, very strange for Slavica to do it at this stage of the season.
0: I think it's maybe to do with the fact that Aluko's slightly more physical than both Aite and Cabano. has a bit more height and kind of physicality about his game. But I, I completely agree. It was I thought it was, it thought it was an odd decision to go with that as a, as a lineup, especially when he's done so much tracking back work and, and all mm. that kind of thing, and to lose that to you know like Aite, you know, as you said, did a lot of defensive shift, but that's not his natural kind of game. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a bit of an odd one. Uh, Aluko <coughs> was completely anonymous first
3: off. Yeah, completely because yeah, I, I mean, if he was playing on the wing, he would be doing all that tracking back work, <clears throat> and one of our one of Fulham's. M- Biggest attributes that we've had this season, especially in the second half, was how quickly we win the ball back with players like Aluko. And even if Aluko doesn't win the ball, because he's actually doing all that tracking, it puts those their counter off straight away for
2: someone else to pick up the ball. That's why I'm so perplexed as to why he started Martin at first leg, because mm. he, it, the game changed in our favour when he went off the pitch and we went strikerless and we went fluid and we went high press. That's when we started to get on top of it. I don't know why he done it. Bye.
1: So, we've got absolutely tons of questions coming tonight in the old post bag. So, going to leave lots of space on this podcast to answer as many of them as possible. First question, though uh, it's a Reading Huddersfield final at Wembley. Pains me to say it will be uh, Reading taking our place at Wembley uh, on bank holiday Monday. Who do you want to go on and win it?
0: I mean objectively Huddersfield is in like Huddersfield are a great club with great fans and a great coach and like all the things that and a great stadium which are all the things that Reading don't have. So, you know, objectively I want Huddersfield to win the final, but I don't actually want to go back to the Mjeski ever again. So, uh, if Reading could go up and then when we get promoted next season go down, that would be the ideal scenario for me,
1: I think. I mean Reading will come Reading will come straight back down if they go up.
3: Yeah, with probably the worst points total ever. Gonna to go some to uh, get less than eleven points, but I bloody well hoped so.
0: <laughs> I bloody hope so. Yes. <laughs> I'd, r- I'd really <laughs> not like not
2: to... bitter <laughs> at all, are we? <laughs> I'd really like to see a team that's never been in the Premier League go in it for the mm. first time. So, I'd love to see Huddersfield win, but I also feel like if they they went up as well, they'd be in with a big shot of not getting anywhere near the amount of points.
0: Stato, required.
2: Stato point.
0: You know, there are two teams who are previous Division One winners who have never played in the champion in the Premiership. Can you name them? Huddersfield. Um, Huddersfield. Yeah.
3: Um, We've never played in the
0: Premiership. Preston. League. Preston North End. Oh, smash that! Very good. I did not
1: expect to get that. Nine points, Sammy <laughs> James.
3: James.
1: <laughs> um, I wonder how
0: you got nine points from two answers. It's, it's a reference to Phone Shop. Oh, okay. Uh, hang on. Yeah.
1: It went above my head as well, pal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nine points.
1: But Anyway, that's enough of my questions. Let's go on to some listener questions, Jack.
0: Okay, I really enjoyed this from Richard Smith to begin with because um, it's not really a question. He said, is my wife's suggestion to go to Wembury in Devon a suitable alternative on Bank Holiday Monday? The answer is no, and it's not funny.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wembury, i
0: never Wembury. even heard of that. Yeah, but I did enjoy that, very, so very well, done, well done, Richard. Colm McClure said, if Reading don't win the playoffs, will you go to the
3: away fixture next season? Nope.
0: <laughs>
1: Absolutely never. No, it's, never again.
3: It's, you, shouldn't have to go, you shouldn't have to go to a game in the home counties and it take three or four hours to get home afterwards. That's just how far out the way and how difficult it is to get to and from. It's amusing that we've all just said no, but we'll all certainly all just be there because it's
0: really quite easy to get to. Even though it's difficult to get from, it's quite easy to get to. to yeah. So, you're what, like, day,
1: oh. what day are the fixture's out? No, so
3: they, they're actually out on the 21st of June, so not even that far away.
1: What are the odds of
3: Reading away being first game of the season? We'll all be there,
1: podcast oh.
3: in
0: full. It's going to be about cry.
1: 200 fans, I think, if that happens.
0: Okay, Ryan Byrne said, If you could keep Kearney or Sess long-term,
3: which one would you pick? Oh, cool. good question. Jeez, this is like one of those hard what-if questions where you're like, what would you prefer, you know, head of a fish or a leg of a f- mermaid? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a,
0: it's a funny one because obviously the long-term changes everything. Yeah. We had a question on the, the Fulham Facebook page, I don't know if anyone saw, um, it was like, you could only keep one of Slav, Sess, or Kearney for next season. And I replied to it being like, if anyone says sess
2: on this, they are a moron. Like yeah. as in like because you got all manner of comments back, didn't you?
0: No. No actually really? people tended to agree with me. No one has said sess on But um but long term
3: obviously, you know, looks like he could be a superstar. So uh, I I'd, I'd still say Kenny, I think. I'd say Kenny, because we know Kenny is good. We know we know Kenny can produce week in, week out. You he obviously has his thoughts and everything. But to gamble it all on Seth becoming a ama- mate, you know, good, if not worldly. better, an absolute, you know, superstar is, you know, very, very rarely that happens. You always see, you know, people bound around that Ross Barkley was going to be amazing and he's still quite OK. Yeah, really. it's true.
0: Although apparently there's a swap deal, him, him going to Man United and Rooney going back to Everton. China, that's a thing on the cards, like genuine thing.
1: That'd be a terrible deal for Everton. Yeah, yeah. I think Everton get some money as well. <laughs> yeah, um, there
0: would be money involved.
1: My only thought on Kearney is Kearney is one of those perfect players in the Championship. But The best teams, I think, that go up to the Premier League and stay there are the ones that have a Championship squad that adapts into the Premier League. So you've got a team full of players that play in the Championship but can make it in the Premier League. Mm. And Kearney is one of those for us, who I know if Fulham went up season after next... Kenny would start for Fulham and do a great job in the Premier League. And yep. we need as many of those players as possible. Sess
0: <coughs> We don't know yet.
1: We don't know yet because yeah. it's an
2: unknown quantity. I think he will be a, a superstar. I, I mean, if we're going to get 15 million for him now, after he signed this pro contract,
0: mm.
2: why not take it?
0: I heard an interesting rumour the other day about Cessignon. Apparently his name isn't Cessignon. Apparently, their dad, when it's, he signed them up... It's Tunnicliffe, you know. Yeah, good. You want to get them mixed no, up. Apparently, when their dad signed them up, and he was, like, signing them up to football, he knew their cousin is, or their cousin or second cousin, is Stefan Sessegnon, and was like, it's their, like, mum's maiden name or something and so therefore they used that name because he thought it would apparently get them more traction in a youth setup. I don't know whether this is true or not. If anyone knows if this is true or not, please do let me know because I'm actually fascinated.
1: That's mental, like a stage name or something. Yeah, exactly. He thought Precisely. that the name would make a
0: difference yeah.
1: for whether they're a footballer
0: or not. Apparently, that's the thing. I heard that yesterday. So <laughs> can, if someone could confirm, deny, you know, whatever this, then I'd love to hear some more. Get at me
3: at Jack J. Collins on Twitter. That's why lots of Brazilians do. They give themselves their nicknames because they want to be unique, because all of their names are pretty much exactly the same six names. Ryan's, oh
2: yeah. first, Ryan's first name isn't Ryan. What? It's, it's Kwasi. <laughs> it's Kwasi. Kwasi Ryan Sessignon is his full name. But that is so, Wikipedia, as in like. Yeah, it's, in, it's Wikipedia, I just but like. It, just now. It, it could be the fact that his dad has actually. Registered him as Ryan and not Kwasi because he feels like it will get him more traction. Maybe that is that is more. That potential. could be. That could be it. Uh, uh, speaking
1: of people that are getting at us, Jack.
2: Oh yeah, indeed.
0: Uh, we've got a triple question from Lawrence Craven, who often comes up with some some absolute bangers. So um, <laughs> his first one is a bit like Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't make me sing it again. Okay, <laughs> questions for tonight. One. Was the way we lost the playoff games a wake-up call to Slavisa, are bigger physical players in the championship?
3: I suppose it is a wake-up call. There are bigger physical players in the championship, but that's just not the way he wants, wants us to play and it's not the way that we've got results. We've got enough big physical players in the team to do a job.
1: Is it a wake-up, though, that Fulham need to find a way next season to come through games? Challenges like Reading Sheffield Wednesday. I know we won the away leg, but really, both teams weren't really playing for it even Derby County we've come up with some big games last season and fallen short even the two games against Brighton I know I may be just going back and listing our defeats but there's some big crunch games there at at crucial times for Fulham and I felt like we didn't always perform in them because teams that set up to do a job against us we found it difficult so maybe that's a wake-up
2: call from the Reading game we certainly need a plan B Mm. as in we have a very clear identity and a lot of our players are around about the same um, in terms of they're often very quick very small very agile but often very incredibly technically gifted we've only really got two maybe three what you would class as destroyers in the team as in like K-Max is one he's big, he's physical Kalas is probably another and then maybe Steph-Joe as is, as is, is a sort of like mid go-between but I do feel like we need a big physical striker that can get around. Um, I also feel that we need a couple of bigger wingers, mm. um, and we definitely need another goalkeeper. The, uh, one that I've, all I bet is, is an amazing shot stopper. He has no control over his six-yard box, and Button can't distribute and has no control over also, his box whatsoever. Also, Benelli's distribution on Tuesday was absolutely abhorrent. Mm. Like it was so poor, and the. We, uh, yeah, we did quite
1: on. a lot of the thing we did against Spurs. I don't know if you noticed. Tries to ping
0: it out to the winger and head it back in. Yeah,
1: almost. yeah. Um, what is that?
0: I think it's just when it's, we it's just, when we run out of options, it's yeah. like our only thing because we don't go because we can't go down the middle because it's a Luco there on his own. The only like kick out option we have is to try and like get Malone or Fredericks to win a header, which is a bit rogue.
3: <sighs> but it's it's kind of like the only option rather than aimlessly pump it up to. I know I completely agree. Yeah, with I, sure. I would it, with that, it, but... it works. It works, you know, one out of three, one out of four times rather than one out of ten, really. Um, Maybe we need a keeper that can get it over the back four and we can start long-balling teams the way they are because, you
0: know, our strikers are going to beat people in yeah. And I think that's, you know, important to, to There's mention.
3: one thing, that's the smart thing that Reading do well, in the three or four games we played them this season, they do well. They They don't go long-ball all the time. They don't go over the top all the time. They seem to decide well when they are going to go over the top or when they're going to go short. And it did expose us on quite a n- number of occasions in the... Hundred games we played them against this season.
1: What do you think, Jack, in response to Lawrence's question? Well, I think we've had
0: plenty of wake-up calls when it comes to you know bigger physical players, and I don't think that this is anything new. The only thing I'd say is in response to all those kind of answers is when we did have a plan B, we all criticised it because the plan B was bringing on Matt Smith and chucking the kitchen sink at people. And you know whether that's you know Matt Smith not being very good is is a different question. But at the same time, like we said, that that system didn't sue us because mm. we didn't really know how to play it, and we didn't really understand what was going on when that happened. So, you know, it's all very well us being like, "Oh, there should be a plan B," but but plan, does plan B always to... have
1: to be long ball? No, yeah. no, no,
0: no, not at all. But I mean, like, what 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 are alternative plan B is is kind of where where I'd go
3: with it. I, I feel like the plan the plan B that we've had or the plan A plan B is just that little small rotations that we do and bringing on slightly different players we seem to play the same way but we'll play ever so slightly differently because Piazzon um, is a different player from Aite um, for example and we did change it up when Piazzon came on he was I was surprised when Piazzon came on in all fairness but he did open up those small little pockets here and there and even though uh, like Aite is very dynamic and very direct Piazzon got the ball and was just a bit more He's a little bit smarter, as bit, for, yeah, a like, bit more clever, a bit more creative, yeah. Because DC
0: wasn't doing very much. DC no. didn't have his best game on Tuesday night, and we needed that spark from Piazon that really sort of did actually wake us up again coming into the last ten minutes. And mm. I think without that, we could have genuinely petered yeah. out. So it was important.
3: But those, but those are those are our plan Bs. They're not so obvious, and that probably makes <laughs> makes, managers, makes That's the where managers make their their metal their money. Yeah, of
0: course, I think we need to look at you know bringing in that kind of that kind of idea as well. And you know we have players you know wingers especially we have players like george williams banging on the door who's definitely a different type of winger to what we have you know it's not necessarily in terms of physique or stature but in terms of the way he plays you know if we have a a, a target man who can actually you know head the ball next season and really can get on the end then bringing on george williams and putting in some you know good balls into the center isn't the worst shout in the world i'm available
3: yeah exactly big target man yeah
0: well Me and you, and I you on my shoulders, maybe. (laughs) Give it a crack. (laughs) The two smallest target men in history. Indeed. Well, Lawrence's second uh, question, Quaver. Yeah, what (laughs) was he doing (laughs) with Quaver? Second Quaver. What would motivate players such as Wood, Abraham, Dunk, ETC to come to Fulham when they're king of the hill at their clubs? I think what he means is not necessarily those players, but players that, that we would look to target you know, that are genuinely sort of the big man in that club. And, you know, it's kind of the same argument in reverse about why Kearney would stay, I suppose. Mm. Um, but what, could, what are we doing that would att- attract those kind of players ahead of somewhere like, you know, Chris Wood's a good example. You know, Leeds came, you know, below us and we're looking to play, you know, challenge for automatic places next year. What, what could we do in, in terms of, I know he won't necessarily come through, but what could we do in terms of bringing Chris Wood in, for example?
3: I think that Slavisa already has that pull. The fact that we were able to—I mean, uh, it'd be naive to think that Aluko, as soon as he was released by Hull, he only had Fulham as an option, and he he or he called us up and goes, "I really want to join Fulham." He must have had offers quite a lot, you know, quite a lot of offers. Same with Steph Joe. Steph Joe must have been made made available, and Slavisa and Fulham are already a big pull. I think it's no, it's no uh, coincidence that. Fulham is quite an attractive club to come to, with no disrespect more than, you know, like Huddersfield, for example, yep. or Reading. We are quite an attractive <laughs> prospect, and this the second half of the season. If players have done their homework, they would have th- they would have thought, God, I want to join them. They've they've done really well that second half of the
2: season. They can only really push on from here. The two key examples that jump out to me aren't aren't homegrown players that have come to join us. They're players from abroad. So you've got. Aite, who's come from Liga, as in like the the top mm. French league, and he was Bastia's probably their best player last season. You've also got Cabano, who's come across from Ghent, who had literally just qualified to be in Europe European position. And if I'm mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, sorry, they have just qualified to be in the Champions League next year alongside Anderlecht. Mm. There are two qu- players of quite a good calibre that have decided to join Fulham in the championship from being in European competition and being in France's top division. I think obviously the location helps, the fact that we can pay some money, the fact that we play some incredibly good football right now under a manager that is clearly forward-facing, clearly very influential on the club. They listen to him and he has like a big big influence over what we're doing. And obviously our long-term structure is in place as well. We have some of the best facilities in in the UK um it's some even better than premier league clubs um we have a really exciting academy we have a good stable ground we have a very good financial backing like we are we are in actual fact a very good option for a number of clubs uh, for a number of players sorry whereas we might not have had the best couple of seasons previous to this we now have and we can show people what we can do and i think that's a big enough pull as standard anyway um would you rather would
1: you rather next season have let's say Tammy Abraham on loan from Chelsea now you know that if Tammy Abraham plays for us he's going to score a hat full of goals it's just he's a great striker Mm. and in this team he'd do very very well but most likely Tammy Abraham is not going to stay the season after he would be with us for one season I'm sure Chelsea see him as a great prospect and they wouldn't want to sell him certainly as soon as next season I mean he may never get into the Chelsea side but that's another matter Or would you rather have another striker, maybe slightly lower quality than Tammy Abraham, but one that's still very good and we purchase him outright as our own?
3: Like Chris Wood, in a way.
1: Well, like, yeah. So basically we have our own striker. Of that that caliber.
2: Yeah. Yes, I'd rather we purchase because we don't want to rely on other clubs. And also, we've spoke about this previously, but like us getting a win for us is bagging a huge amount off a transfer. Yep. So I think it, it works both ways. We get yeah. to own a player, we don't have to rely on anyone, and we also get to have a chance to make yeah. money in the future. I'm a big fan of um,
3: the teams that go up and they keep largely the same squad, the same way like with Bournemouth. Bournemouth, Bournemouth were, have just done incredible things, and they haven't even changed that much. They haven't changed their style of play. They've just done things that they know they can do well. Yeah. And I'd prefer to purchase, but that's not to say that if Tammy Abraham wasn't available on loan...
2: I wouldn't take him. Yeah, I think he's probably a little bit above Championship station. Now. He's, yeah, um, I do. Agree. Chelsea have said that they're not loaning him out next
3: season.
0: They oh said really?
2: He's,
3: they said he's going to stay at the
2: club. Oh, yeah, right, the right. The, the
3: right. their loan department just can't handle. He's he's, he's now too. wanted. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, there's a couple more. Um, there was a third question for Lawrence. It's kind of very simple. It's automatic promotion is the, no doubt the expectation. If the same squad plays next year, do we think this is possible? Can we have yes/no's because we've got lots to get through?
3: Yes, yes,
1: hundred
0: percent. Cool. Yep, you've uh, four yeses and you're into the next round. (laughs) Uh, So there's a couple of bits more. I really like this from George, actually. Magical
2: Malone, as he's now known. his realistic signings for next season. I've done a tweet uh, about this the other day to Frankie Taylor, who's also listened to the pod a few times and we've had a couple of questions and shout-outs from him. So I'll start just because I know it's fresh in my mind. I said to him, David Davis from Birmingham someone we were linked with in the summer last year before he penned a new deal. I think he's one of their better players and we he'd fit in quite nicely. I quite like the idea of um, Marley Watkins. Yeah, I like that. Um, but it looks like Norwich may have all but, all but signed him now. Uh, I also don't feel like we will look in the Championship. I feel like we'll look a bit further mm. afar here and probably pluck someone from obscurity from uh, Ligue 1 or Ligue 2. As it is now known, um, I'm just searching what that means, and and just then that those will be the guys we'll go for, or maybe someone in in La Liga. I do agree with Ben that we will probably look further afield, but if we if we're looking
3: at people that in the immediate vicinity around us, the one I would like to have is Albert Adoma. I feel like he'll really fit into our into our team. He's a the, the physical winger, that yeah. probably what we, we need. And he's really dynamic, really direct.
2: a local, local boy as well. he's he? a local yeah. boy, yeah. He, he saw us a Would new
1: you one uh, for Middlesbrough at the Cottage last season. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, used to watch
2: okay. him when he played for Barnet with my dad. I never thought he'd get this far. What, where, is he just
1: at Middlesbrough now?
2: No, he's at Villa. Yeah, Villa. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, a bit of a weird one because he was brilliant for them and then they, they went swap, up. They swapped to the Dama Traore yeah. and... Odoma. Odoma, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I think... Um, something... there's, a, there's a guy that plays for Preston as well, is it Bart Barthaisen,
0: yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a really good player. He looks re- he looks the real deal. He came up from League 1 and in in League 2. They picked him out of League 2 in January and he looks the real deal. Mm. Um, one, well, three from me. One coming down from the Premier League, I'd really like Harry Maguire from mm. Hull. I think he is the kind of ball-playing, you know, get-his-heads-up-and-gets-the-ball-down centre-back that would really fit the system. Um... And two from a team that have gone down. Either of the Wigan midfield duo, Power and Morsi. Oh, um, Power, yeah, Powell, Power, yeah. yeah. What about Nick Powell? See, Nick Powell is a, is an odd one because he just uh, he seemed to there was a thing at the end of the season where he just apparently stopped trying. Oh, really? Like he just like he'd be like walking around from the Wigan pitches and just not not doing anything, and they'd be like all the fans were, like on his back, and he just like stopped like stopped basically caring. And so I'm not sure that's the kind of
2: yeah, Fell you, you want about, mm-hmm. so
0: yeah, but I think there's there, there's something to be look at. There was someone said Omar Bogle. Well, wow, that was I was, that was who shot, yeah. I was
1: just about to suggest. He really caused Fulham lots of problems in the three-two win.
0: Yep. Lucas Zhao has been the one that I've you know claimed yeah. from the start. It's the one the one I'd really like. He's surplus to requirements at Wednesday. Um, and he did a real job against us at the Cottage I think that would be a a very sensible signing
1: as much as Slavisa will definitely look at the continental market we did make several signings last summer from English clubs so Mm. there will be some to come from other championship teams and this time last year I'm sure we'd been doing a podcast Kevin MacDonald would have been one of the players we may have said so I I do expect Slavisa to make some signings from England as well as some signings
2: we've never heard of from Mm -hmm. Belgium France. Yeah, yeah, we're all big fans of uh, Matt Doherty as well, aren't we? They're yeah. Left back from Wolves. He's got his island call up. So. Yours is coming, Jack.
0: Yeah, one exactly. Day. Double, double, <laughs> double win, isn't it? Okay. He can, he'll love the flag.
3: You're onto <laughs> on FIFA already going, I'm definitely Irish, I'm telling you. Yeah, exactly. They'll love it.
0: Well, that's um, about it, I think. We'll um, maybe leave it there.
3: Can I pose a quick question? Yeah. Um, would If if someone like Kearney gets sold on, do you think it would start some sort of... I don't want to say mass exodus, but would you think that other players would thinking, mm, maybe the squad isn't going to be as good next year? Not when we bring out Yozabed.
2: <laughs> but earth. do you
3: think, like, a big player, if he gets sold, do you think it, the other players would start having their heads turned as well?
1: If it happened early in the transfer window, I would be a little bit worried that that could happen. But I just don't see who else is going to leave. Mm. Obviously, Ryan
2: Cessignon. All I'm saying is that, like, it happened last year with Ross, and we were better for it. I'm not saying we will be with TC, but Ross left, and no one threw their toys out of the pram other than the supporters. Really, mm. um, we were better for him leaving. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, not I, saying I'm... we will be t- when TC leaves, but
1: and and who else do you think even is going to be on the radar of a bigger club? I know that we've had some terrific performances in the team this season. As I said Ryan Sessegnon's the obvious one, but Steph Joe came out Yeah, but you could suggest yeah. that they Hite. might be on
0: that they might be on the radar of a lower Premier League club. Yeah. You know, especially the likes of someone like Bournemouth or Burnley. You can I, can you 100% go and see Kevin McDonald doing a job for Burnley. Like as in yeah. 100%. I don't think he will. I don't I think we'll be okay with keeping those kind of players. And you know, Steph imagine how well Steph would do in somewhere like France or, you know, maybe Portugal yeah. even. You know where these these games are a little bit more open, but there's still room for that kind of dynamism of of a midfielder. I think he'd do yeah. really well over there. That's the that's the only thing I'd be scared of. I don't think Everton are going to come in and you know <laughs> poach Steffi Hansen. but I wouldn't be surprised if someone like you know Sporting Lisbon came in for him. Or, yeah,
2: or I wouldn't uh... be surprised if we saw one of Cabano or Aite go back to France. I mean, you could you quite easily see Cabano fitting in with a uh, uh, like a like Europa League. Spot in a French team, so Leon. someone like like in Lille or yeah. a, a Lyon or a Nice or something like that, I could see them fitting in there quite easily. So our, our players are definitely wanted, and
3: the one the one we're quite lucky in the sense that the players that the sorry, not players, the teams that are coming down from the Premier League, they're not exactly awash with money and. They're gonna. They're not the type. Of, they're not like the Newcastle United. They come down. They're like, right. We're we're here to do business. We're going to tap up as much talent as possible. Yeah. We're in that privileged situation. No disrespect to those teams, but I feel like Sheffield Wednesday have been doing it for a, a little while now. They've been trying to tap up some of the bigger names in the Championship. I mean, they were after Ross for a good two. Pretty much as soon as we signed him, mm. and that's probably you know not, you know as far fetched as it sounds. Um, and I think Sheffield Wednesday will probably do the same thing again. They'll probably start trying to tap up our players now. I've got a follow up question if anyone's interested. Yep. You
0: know, obviously, Cessignon was the kind of breakout star of this season. Do we see an academy product coming through next season? or there, you know, anyone, you know, top touts to be, you know, involved as if, if not, you know, a starter, then definitely a squad player next season?
1: Well, I think the three for me that I think would get closest would be a done he's done good this season. He's done, he done really done well. He's done uh, really well against Middlesbrough. Uh, Adrenian and De La Torre are probably the three knocking on the door the most. It's not my field of expertise, knowing tons and tons about the youth uh, sides. But I remember just seeing them against Orient back in the Cup, and all three of those were particularly impressive.
2: I've watched them a couple of times at Motspur Park this year. Um, there's a couple of players there, particularly a centre-back called Aaron Davies, who looks yeah, pretty a good. Welsh fella. He's just been called long. up
0: for the two long
3: tournament.
2: Yeah, he's he's a very like at that level. He's a very accomplished centre back. He's clearly one of those that has got some sort of potential. Obviously, Stevie Humphries is in there, who we haven't we haven't mentioned yet, but looked somewhere out of his depth when he came on. Um, but yeah, I like against Brighton and I, I like a and a lot actually
0: yeah so I do I I, I like him in I like him in that midfield role he's quite leggy and he has like yeah. he has quite a good vision he's got, for, a, for a pass he's got a
2: very big crunching tackle on him was it Idenarin that scored that
3: absolute worldie in uh, the yeah. the yeah. PL2 yeah, cup yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. against Villa
0: I believe yeah mm. it was a it was a ridiculous goal yeah, It's an outrageous strike so yeah I mean it's it's good to see that there's
1: more Steven Cessignon. maybe we'll get him on the other flank <laughs> if, <laughs>
3: if that is your real name yeah <laughs>
1: exactly well we're going to ha- address lots more of these kind of questions because as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, this is not our final podcast of the season. Uh, we're going to be doing an end-of-season review uh, in the next couple of weeks. Date TBC, but uh, it should be hopefully uh, early June at the very, very latest. Um, Voting is open for the end-of-season Fulhamish Awards. Very exciting times. Uh, Go to fulhamish.co.uk. You can vote uh, for several different categories that we've got. Obviously, we've got Player of the Season. We've got some different ones as well to offer an alternative to the official awards. So we've got Newcomer of the Year, uh, Goal of the Year, just as in, like, actual good goal of the year, uh, Match of the Year, and Moment of the Year. So Moment of the Year, you know, an amazing... Uh, Either something funny that happened in a match or just a big moment of ecstasy, a TC versus Leeds. Don't want to know what you do in
0: your spare time, (laughs) Sammy.
1: I'm all about the ease. Uh, Ease are good. Ease are good.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I was surprised that Fulhamish Podcast went on the Newcomer of the Year award.
1: Oh, maybe I should add Fulhamish podcast to it. We will come last, though. Um, So please get voting for that now, uh, fulhamish.co.uk. So all that is left to be said is, Secretary Jack, have you got a title for today's podcast, please?
0: We have got a title for today's podcast, and the podcast is a play. The name is a play on a popular TV series. Uh, Whose
1: hand is it anyway? (laughs) Tragic but beautiful. A bit like Fulham's season, really. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, a fair summation right there so as I said we'll be back in the next couple of weeks with an end of season review thank you for listening to today's podcast hope it wasn't too much of an emotional roller coaster bringing back the uh, bad memories from Tuesday night lots to be positive though as uh, hopefully we covered at the end of the show so uh, Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. Benjamin. thank you very much. Sure, Sammy, mate. And um, Farrell Monk, Fary- <laughs> 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 oh, I did so
3: well. And Farrell Monk, Farel's thank fun. you very much. Thank you, Sammy. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Toodles. Toodles.